This is a Think Live Be production. Well, you were saying that you you stopped by um, a butcher slash fishmonger. Yeah, it's like a market. A mar- yeah, market. Uh, because we were going to write a blog post about the the new one that's coming to our local area, and um, and so now sea bass is your favorite fish. Ch- Chilean sea Chilean sea bass. Yeah, yeah. I like a lot of fish, but that's the one that I seem to just immediately <laughs> like. There's no pause. Well, we we've, we've been watching Master Chef reruns. Like that's fun at at nighttime. So um, I I'm very familiar that in order to win Master Chef, you just need to know how to cook lamb really well. Mm-hmm. Halibut. I've never Scallops. had halibut. Scallops. Those are good. What a f- else? A fillet. A fillet and yeah. venison. Yeah, venison. And, and, it's so gamey. And, and what? What were you gonna say? Oh, I was gonna say uh, souffle. And a souffle. <laughs> You've got to What's souffle? Right. Like chocolate souffle? Oh, like oh. The baked... it rises up and then oh, but it's they... all gooey on the inside. Never so, had one of those. So, okay. What lessons I've learned from watching binge watching MasterChef. <laughs> um, what I think is really cool about, uh, so we now we're super into food. We already were. Like I go, tra- when we travel somewhere, what I'm looking up is like, where can we go eat? Mm-hmm. It's not about like sightseeing. <laughs> Most of the time <laughs> it's like the food. But, um, but we... We've been watching this show religiously, um, and we're going to get through these seasons. And what I've noticed is, like, there's there's a lesson about attracting talent. Like, Gordon Ramsay is this really well-known chef, and everybody wants to be on the show to be, you know, involved in that person's, like, their, like get a little glean of their experience and their genius or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought that it's really interesting to watch like how excited people are when those chefs come on and they're just attracting talent by way of showing their experience to other people, like re- like having a um, a constant presence in front of people so that they know that people know about them. And I think sometimes this is not on topic to what we were going to talk about <laughs> at all, but I think sometimes we, um, you know, we get so busy in day-to-day stuff that if you have the vision to grow a team, you're so busy like selling houses that you forget to get out and get in front of people so that other people who are aspiring to be in the industry know that you're a place where they can learn and grow and 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 get that kind of experience from. Yeah. And anyway, so I'm learning stuff as I watch TV late mm-hmm. at night. <laughs> But that's not what we're talking about today. Well, it kind of is. It's like, it, so um, one of the things, like anytime you see uh, somebody like that, like a, a big industry leader or that owns lots of restaurants or owns a business of any kind, um, that to that level, they do it through um, hiring great people to follow systems to produce the same results that they did. So Gordon Ramsay, in this example that I've latched onto, is not the one making his famous dishes anymore somebody else is and he's shown them how to do it perfectly exactly the same way over and over and over again so that he knows he can step out of the kitchen and go be on tv shows and run across the world um promoting himself and his brand right but if you go to one of his restaurants in england on a random tuesday night and you order one of his famous dishes like beef wellington like beef wellington that beef wellington is going to be made exactly the way that he he makes makes it it. yeah because that's what you're going for exactly so um so the only way to do that is to have models in place so you know i've I've been rereading the mrea book and they talk in this book and many other books about like moving from e to p is what you call it where it's moving from entrepreneurial to purposeful and if I got that wrong, I'm sorry. Um, but it's it's like, because as you get started as a real estate agent and you're doing it all, you are just kind of like running around, just doing whatever is to your strengths. So you find like, oh, I'm really good at open houses and you can go and have success in that. But at some point in order to grow, you have to build models to duplicate that success and then figure out what's the next thing to layer on top. Right. If, if that's your 
plan is to grow because you right. can only take open houses so far, right? You can be the best at open houses, but you're, you can only get it to a certain level and that's the best that you can do that part of it. But if you want to continue to grow after you've taken it to that level, then that's the, your only option is to expand out. Yeah. Get the leverage. So what, what have you said before you can't open house your way out of it or what, what did you yeah, say? Yeah. Well that I, yeah, it, it's, it's when you have agents, when there's buyer agents that come and they, they have gold set and, and sometimes you can't open house your way out of hitting your goals. You have to expand and work your sphere and do other things. You can't just say, well, I'll just double up my open houses and then I'll triple up the open houses and expect to ever, there's, there, there's a finite amount of sales you can get out of it. It's like a bar, a, a bar on a busy Friday night can only, it doesn't matter how many people walk through the room, they can only make a certain amount of money because there's only a certain number of people that can get to the bar at one time. Capacity. Right. Well, yeah. So like if, if you have a room that's 3,000 square feet, but the bar is a five foot bar, you can only make so much money, right? It doesn't matter how many bartenders you put behind it because it, the bar is five feet long. The only way for you to make more money is to make the bar bigger. Yeah. Right? So it's the same sort of- Or same expand sort of, and get the shop girls out on the floor. Right. Either way, there need changes. You, you can't just, you can't bartend your way out of, to get more sales. You have to- change the system or expand the systems. Right. You reach I, the, I use the word capacity because I think everybody has that level of capacity and everybody's is 100% different. And that's something I've learned, um, over time because sometimes you, you have a tendency to like compare yourself to others and think like, how are they able, you know, you always are like, how are they able to do that many by themselves or whatever you anything in life? You like kind of are looking at somebody else and saying, how do they do that? Well, they do it differently and for better or worse, like you are who you are. And as that initial entrepreneurial phase where you're just doing things that you're good at and making and figuring out how to make money, then at some point you have to say, how can I duplicate this into something that I can train and teach other people so that through leverage you can grow and have the ability to expand your business. Right. And that's, I was reading some notes from like a previous like probably two or three years ago, um, you know, you have like all these notebooks that you stack on a shelf somewhere. <laughs> I like to get those out every now and then, mm -hmm. and dust them off. And uh, actually, when we moved into this new house, um, it was a good opportunity to kind of find them because they were <laughs> they were stacked away in various different locations. Put them in Ready? one place. Yeah. So now they're all stacked next to each other in one place. So it's a little bit easier to go read read more um you know decide today i'm going to check back in on you know family reunion notes from 2015 or whatever um so i was reading though i was reading some some notes about models and you know really how to make that duplicatable comes back to you have to you have to make sure everybody so if you're bringing somebody on that they're using the same exact script doing the same exact consultation and do, like doing all the same exact steps that mm -hmm. you're doing or it's not trackable. Right. Like you can't determine if it works as a model. Like does this does this work because of, of just me or does it work because this is a great way to do everything and I can teach and train this? The only way to know is to track do it, it by the model. Do, do it exactly the same. If it's not set up the same way every single time, then it's impossible to troubleshoot. Mm -hmm. is is right whether you're putting a, a you know, I come I back in the the day I used to do live sound for bands where you have the giant board and you'd set up all the microphones and all the the only way that you can troubleshoot any of that stuff is to know how everything is plugged in and how everything is put together and then be able to go piece by piece through it to find where the mistake is. But if somebody else were to randomly come in and plug everything in, it would take, I wouldn't be able to figure it out. Yeah. What, what part was I disconnected? Would, I, yeah. I'd have no idea. So the only way to do it is to, in, in Catherine's, uh, in, in this world of real estate is to make sure that everybody is doing everything the exact same way. So if there is a problem, you can pinpoint it instantly mm -hmm. that's, where it is. That's why we have email templates because there's a lot of information to get out to people when they're under contract, buyer-wise and seller, that 
you want all that information to go out there the same way every single time and the templates there so that you're not typing all that information and then missing something or misspeaking on something. Yeah. And I think that solves a couple things in in building a model. Number one, it makes sure that the customers are getting the same experience that they got when, when it was just a single agent that you're doing and saying all the same things and that it's automatic that um, even though you might have to hit send, mm-hmm. but it's it's pretty set and automatic. You know when it's due. You know what it needs to say. So it's systematic. And then um, and then yeah, they're they're getting the same experience through those templated things. That's exactly what a script is, mm-hmm. by the way. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, just a template of what to say. And if everybody is saying it the exact same way and speaking the same language, then you know, like like you then said, you know, you can see. Oh, this person. You can is, ask them, did there, you go me, off the script? They're no, going I off didn't. script. Yeah, but you can tell because everyone is in lockstep doing mm-hmm. the exact same thing. When somebody fails, it's very easy to see and it's easy to see where the re- what the reason is. Yeah. And I think that comes into play. There are no variables. You know what's so funny? This literally says eliminate variables. Oh, really? <laughs> in my notes page, it says eliminate variables. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> you can't change the script or I can't track it. <laughs> Yeah, you uh, can't track it. If the script gets changed and there you've got four or five buyer's agents and an admin and everyone's using scripts and they're doing it on their own and the and and the numbers aren't adding up, how there's nowhere to start to be able to see where the where the problem is. Everyone has to be doing it the exact same way. They have to run their houses the exact same their open houses the same way. Everything needs to be I was in, like run their houses. Yeah, <laughs> needs to be input into the systems the same way. The follow-up needs yep. to be the same on every single one. It's the only way to see. And I and if there is an issue it's very easy to find where the issue is. Oh, I see where the issue is. You're you're following all of the right systems th- all the way up through the open house, but then you're falling off on your on your calls on Monday. That's where the problem is, yep. right? So, uh, so super easy to find where the problems are if everyone's running on the same systems, which create the model. Yeah, and that that's a really good example because on a um, on a sales level. There, there is like, you know, there's general industry averages. So if you don't know what your own like conversions are or what to expect, you can kind of just go research it and then, and then say, okay, if I follow the, you know, somebody else's model, I should get the same results. And if I'm not, then there's a, there's a gap. Sure. It's like when people buy a franchise restaurant. Mm-hmm. There's models of sales of this is what you can expect if you do this. This is what your food cost is in a town this big, blah, 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 blah. And you don't just randomly go buy a checkers and then say, keep my fingers crossed. It's like, checkers. well, I don't know. I was thinking of some fast food restaurant. <laughs> I like their um, fries. But, but that is a, that's, there's models designed around all of the other people that have done this, that yeah. this is what the averages are. Yeah. yeah. The, so if you're um, if you're in sales, like a lot of what I've seen over the years when having other agents get started is they may not see the same results um, in conversion initially because they're probably not following the script exactly right or they're not um, they're not doing the follow up as timely as they need to. CRMs can be a really big um, help in your life to keep things organized, but they can also be a messy disaster zone. (laughs) And I think a lot of- It's a careful balance. Fine line. (laughs) And I think a lot of people, if you look in your CRM, you'll realize like, it's mostly a mess. Like I think most people can admit that, that it's most of the time it's a mess. And that comes from not having like a model in place when you first started. Um, on how, and then being able to tell somebody like, here's how you do it. And then they're not doing things the way that you were doing them before. And therefore results show up differently. So even if you're, even if you're not thinking about growing a team, but you just want to create those like duplicatable results so that you know, like, okay, if I just do this same process every single day, then I can work, you know, 50 weeks a year work nine to five and like have mm-hmm. a systematic life and a balanced life if I just do these these things in this order and you can track that on your own then you'll be able to see if that if that works and then you have that immediate feedback if it's not and you can you can tweak but you can't tweak anything like I can't tell you how many people have come to me and be like maybe we should do this at open houses or we should do we should say we should you know 
I'm trying not to name any names or or anything like that from past uh, people that worked with me, but ideas that come up and it's like, you know, you want to like, you want to let people um, be innovative and creative. Yeah. You want to let them be innovative and creative, but you, you want to shoot out their, shoot down their dreams. You don't, yeah. You don't want to squash their dreams. And yet you're like, I've already done that 10 years ago. And let me tell you why it didn't work and why we're not going to do it now because it's a waste of time. (laughs) And we've like, after 15 years of doing things, I feel like I can say, I can say that and say, I have the feedback on that and it didn't work and here's why. And um, because nobody cares because they just want to see the house. Yeah. Well, it's because the way that you figured out how this works takes a lot of time and effort and doing and failing over and over and over again. And it's a long process and every new agent is looking for the quick way to just do this and, oh, this will work. And it's like, no, you're new time first time home buyer uh uh seminar that you want to do <laughs> well sometimes at, those at the library work, but... <laughs> or whatever yeah i know but it's like the marketing all the things like they just don't you know they see see something on a facebook page or something and say oh let's try this and it's like what works is making sure everyone signs in at your open house you get all of their contact information and you call every single person and then you call them again and then you call them again and yeah. then you call them again. They see that and you do that every single week and that and and over time you keep calling, you keep calling you get you get clients that way. That's how that's what works. But that's not the fast, easy way. Well well, neither is it neither is coming up with creative ideas or what appears to be creative ideas. Um, when you haven't got the basic foundations right. done. Yeah. And that's that's what always happens is in yeah. In the when you're not hitting the numbers that you want and you're not seeing the results, you are looking for like a magic pill. I know because I've done it before. Like yeah. I've 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 thought I've felt the same way before. And you're looking for some like there's got to be an easier way than lead genning every day. <laughs> there's there's got to be an easier not. way. And there's darn it, there's not. It's just the job. And um, and I think you just people don't realize that and. There's a little bit of like you want people to make their own mistakes and like you learn through that failure and that sure. mistake. But at the same time, that's why people join um, for your experience that you're bringing to the table. So it's OK to say like, hey, guess what? You know, I I feel like I've mastered yeah. that this one thing and this is the model that we use to generate business from this one thing. And if you follow it to a T. And just give it that time that it takes for that to the results to show up. Then if it's still not working, we'll talk more. But I need to see that you're doing it 100 sure. percent. You're 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 making the calls on time. You're doing the text message. You're doing the emails. You're doing all of the systematic follow up because, as we know, fortune is in the follow up. So I need to see that you're doing everything consistently in the plan to see if it works. And if it doesn't work, then, then I'll we'll, be know- a- well, I'll be able to see where where it's falling apart right there's something you're probably not doing right if it's a f- proven model right then there's something you're not doing in the mix and we need to figure out yeah, what that there's is a problem with your scripts like if you're not setting appointments um you, let's say you're, you're getting all of the people to your open houses and you're getting all their information and you're getting and you're making all of your calls um but nobody's setting an appointment with you then we know there's a problem somewhere in the conversation that you're having with them in the scripts to set the appointment, right? Because everything else is working out. We can also see if you're not set, if you're not, don't have anyone to call on Monday, it's because we know that you weren't getting people to sign in at the open house and getting all of their information and using the scripts to get their information. So, but because you're doing it with our model, we can see exactly where those issues are and where you need help. You know, but people want to kind of just wing it and do it their way without any experience, then we can't help you. Well, yeah, and and most of the time, and I think this is true with everyone, most of the time the model that that like again, moving from that entrepreneurial stage of I'm a single agent, I'm kind of just running around doing whatever I can to get business. And then I sort of figure out, well, this works well for me. And then I start to do things a little bit more systematically and start to build those those um, templates and those uh, campaigns and plans to, to make it a model. Um, and then as you start to hire other people, 
you're going to training and you're you're learning what other people are doing too and the models that they have built and you're most of the time you're just copying and making it your own in terms of like um the, you know what works for your market and things like that so you're you're following somebody else's model i mean there's a book called the mra book that just has these things in place anyways um but you're just tweaking things to make them your own and so when you bring somebody else on and then you're doing that yourself and following along and then you bring somebody else on, there's no reason that all of that shouldn't work 100% because you've already proven that it can. And so then that feedback is easier to assess because you're like, well, I can do it. And the you know other agents that I learned from were able to do that. So there's something in the mix that's wrong. And I one of the... Um, like industry leaders and high up in Keller Williams and stuff had a really great system in place. Um, his name is Chris Suarez. If you're in real estate, you've probably heard of him. Um, but he, like a few years ago, they were actually selling their um, Legion levers. Like you could get a copy of them for, I don't think it was too expensive either. I don't know if they're still selling them, but you could get a copy of it. And all it really was, was, like a plan for, let's say, for example, a, a lever for open houses. It was just basically a plan for how to see results through open houses. So it wasn't really any different than what we were already doing, but it was just, it was so systematic that they, and they had so many people in their organization that they were able to track and know that if you did just 75% of the activities, that you'd make six figures just by following their their lead gen levers because they had so many people following the exact same model and tracking very it very easy to tweak religiously that they were able to tell you yeah and then they would know with 100% confidence if you were a good fit or not because sure. hey did you do 75% or more and you're not getting the results this may not be a good role for you and i just thought like it's obviously on a smaller scale you don't have the data yet Right. On some of that, which was why I thought I thought that was so awesome was because they were such a big organization that they could really say that this provided those results. That's so powerful. But um, but on a smaller scale, you still generally can say most of what was in those Legion levers. Yeah. If anybody did it, not just part of their team, if you just follow those simple, basic steps, you should have the same results right. in any market anywhere because it's just doing open houses at a high level or doing FISBOs at a high level, like actually calling them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not rocket science. Is It was just, it was tracked in such a way that they they were able to to show the results of it and have, and then that's confidence to say, oh, okay, now, now I know what I need to do every day. Yeah, the systems were in place to build the model. Well, so thinking about like checkers for some reason came to mind. We've never even eaten at checkers before, but whatever the model is when you buy that franchise, it's probably kind of the same thing. They've got so many stores around the country that they're tracking all this data that they can say with 100% confidence, like Mm -hmm. you should be able to have this profit margin by opening this store. They have it figured out like what other fast food restaurants are nearby because we have thousands of stores so we can tell when we're down the street from a McDonald's, it's this, and we can tell by the traffic pattern, it's this, and this is what you can expect, and and this is what your food cost is going to be here, and this is what we expect for turnover when it comes to your uh, the people who work here. Um, all of those things are all factored in so that when you put however much money down you need to put down to buy a franchise, you can you know what your profit margin is going to be. Well, and you know it's if a you good fo- if you follow their model. And you, so you know it's a good investment because of all of the research that they've done in the past and their brand and experience that they're providing to you, but you still have to follow the model. The model. So anytime you vary from that, like I don't do- Yeah, um, we're not going to do this. We're not going to We're not gonna spend the money on that. Right. We don't, we, need, to we advertise. don't need to advertise here. We don't need to advertise right. here, even though that's what every other franchise in America does. We don't need to do that. That's too expensive in the Orlando area. And if to you do start that. changing a lot of things, it's impossible to track where the problem is. Yeah. Right. If you could change one thing, you can say, you know what? I don't think we're going to run this checkers exactly the way that we run that every other checkers is run, except we're not going to do online advertising. And then you can stand back in eight months and look at the profits 
and say, have my profits gone down or up? Oh, my, my profits have gone down. Well, guess where? why your profits went down? Because you stopped your online advertising. Super easy. But if you say, we're going to stop our online advertising. Um, we're only going to be open until midnight instead of until two. And I'm going to pay everybody uh, a little bit less, a little bit more, but cut my staff. And your profits go down. Well, you have no idea why and where it's where it's at. Right? Well, that's like um, because you change the model so much that you can't see where the problems are. Um, well, I was going to say something else, but I don't know if we need to take a break real quick and then I'll get into all that. OK, we can take a break. Let's take a break. And we're back. Yeah. Where were we? Where are we? Where are we? Oh, you're currently listening to Seeking the Best. <laughs> this is our podcast. I was reminded during the break that I did not, again, do our intro. Um, but yeah, you're listening to our podcast. It's called Seeking the Best, and we try to seek out the best in ourselves and overcome the personal and professional hurdles in the real estate industry. I'm Catherine Stelges. Across from me is my director of operations, Kayla Boundy. Hi. And our sound producer, sound engineer, producer extraordinaire, Patrick Patika. Hello. And we were talking about models. And I was called out just then because apparently I don't have a model in place for reading this intro. But what I said was, I don't think that that's, that's, that's not a model. Right. That is a habit to do that. Right. I'm just, I'm just the, trying to talk our, my way out of it. No. Based on a model. The, it, it, <laughs> the, the model is that podcasts generally have an introduction. An introduction. In the beginning after the theme song. And the habit is doing it. <laughs> you have to build the habit of the the model, the steps in the model. That's true. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I but, stand but, by that. But, <laughs> but we don't have, the reason why it our intro gets missed every week is because we don't start with an introduction we could roll into just the us talking and then you have to come back to the introduction so the model that's uh, this is a model that doesn't work the model for the <laughs> in order for the model to work you have to say that we're gonna say okay we're rolling start with the introduction say welcome everybody and then th- that way, then you would never miss it. You know what I've noticed? That's I a think, working model. I think that um, a lot of podcasts that is pre-recorded and just like dropped just in. just plug it in. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just a thought. Dave Ramsey's is like that. And I've listened to it. It's the same thing every time. I was like, there's no way no, that no, same tone. No podcast I listen to does that. Well, yours are all funny stuff. No, that's not true. <laughs> I listen to all kinds of stuff. Well, you know what though? Um, I mean, I guess you can. we can do it anyway. What has proven to be true after almost 100 episodes is that I have not built the habit no. to do it because I miss it more often than not. Yeah. And even though it's sitting right in front of me, <laughs> it's not a reminder enough, apparently. But anyways, we're talking models uh, about real estate, not podcasts. Okay. Um, yeah, go figure out your own <laughs> podcast models. We're not here to help you with that. <laughs> this isn't a podcast about starting a podcast or having a- Not yet. <laughs> yeah, we might roll one in. Okay. But no, we were, we were talking about models and just tracking and um, part of, I think, I think, and, and I could be wrong, but once you get to a point where you're adding leverage, I think the most powerful um, model is is actually having one-on-one sessions with people and, and that's your time to keep them accountable to the other models and and, and talk about the feedback loop of like understanding why it's not, um, why they're not achieving their goals. If, if they're not, if they are great. So proving more than proving the model is working. Um, but whatever the, the issue is, is having that weekly check-in accountability session in itself is a model. And what you talk about during that is also a model. And one of the things that, um, I mean, I've just learned, you know, you research things and learn, but there's, there are specific things to talk about and some people keep it as simple as like, did you hit your goals last week? No. Why? What are you going to do this week to make up for those goals? And that's it. (laughs) And that's the accountability session. And some are more in depth. Um, there's one, there's like, um, um, what's it called? Stopped you? Um, what's what's, the cash? Yeah, well, the cash is what does that stand for? I forget. Um, 
whatever. <laughs> <laughs> there is there is another one that you're like you ask them like what um you know what do they think they've learned this week blah 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 blah. How's your attitude towards the steps to the goal? Yeah. So you have to decide I think what's important. This is where you're deciding how does that model work for you? Like what's most important to your organization and the priorities that you want to check in on every week and then having those conversations during that one-on-one time. So I do typically stick to the goals and like the 411 um, that we talked about before, the the goal setting tool, because then I know we're, we're checking in on like the, what the, the biggest factors that you need to check in. Yeah. On. Like what, what are the, um, the key performance indicators of whether you're hitting your marks in whatever role you're doing. And so we check in on those every week and that in itself is a model that gives you time to, to figure out what's not working and have that, that conversation. Um, that way you can like adjust things versus letting it play out for more failure. Yeah. And, so in those conversations, one of the things that we have added that is, I, I think, is part of a model of accountability is having team members fill out a form the day before. I actually got that from coaching. So again, you're just like emulate what's working in other areas of your career. So if if you're in a coaching program and they, during your coaching session, they want you to fill out a form beforehand so that they're prepared, well, that's probably what you should do as a leader coaching team members too. So using those, um, those systems that are already, like you're already a part of using those in your own business. And one of the things that um, was on the coaching form was always like, what challenges are you having? Or what's basically, what's the most important thing that you need to talk about? And so have that on the form. And I think that's really helpful because then anything that's on someone's mind, it's an opportunity for them to bring it to you. And they know that that's the time to do it. Right. Versus when they're supposed to be lead generating in the morning and say, Hey, real quick, I got something to say. Yeah. Or I I need to ask some advice or I've got a question or something. It, It saves maybe a bigger conversation for another time. Yeah. And then, during those years, they know they have an opportunity to have that conversation with you at yeah, some point. Right. And then that just, that just sets up a, a model for accountability and tracking. Like we're going to meet once a week. We're going to talk about these things. So then the team members are prepared to, um, hopefully have all of their forms, their reporting and tracking filled out. Cause they know they're going to have to meet with you and you're going to be like, where is it? Yep. <laughs> and so it just, it sort of creates, um, that's what I'm looking for. Like I don't I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but it just it sort of forces everybody to keep on track with the models, at least the tracking part. You can't necessarily force someone to do their calls or do their check ins on time with with, you know, prospects and stuff like that. That I think is probably the biggest gap in all models is, again, going back to that CRM. It's like the one thing is just clearing it out every day. And once you get too many people in there, it's it feels impossible. And then it just never gets done. Yeah, it's it, well, it's because what if all things work correctly, there's multiple models working in tandem with other models. Right. So you're talking about that gap of them making their calls and how that gap is missing, except there's another model and system, which is their day-to-day schedule. So if they're following their day-to-day schedule and the model of what that is, where it, which is lead genning in the morning until whatever lunchtime and then lunchtime after that, then you're going and you're showing properties, writing contracts, whatever, whatever that stuff is. If they're following that model, then there is no gap on the other model. Well, the problem because, is, is that they're missing, they're not, there's another model that's not being worked correctly. Well, and that goes back to um, the the quote, you know, that real estate is about following a schedule. Yeah. It's like, you know, I, I don't think, we don't even talk about like selling houses that often. I mean, <laughs> because, if you've listened to this, <laughs> that, that's true. If you've come to this podcast, because we're going to explain the day to day of, of, of writing contracts and selling homes. It's like that. Notice the no episodes are about that because that's not what anyone who's been in the business for any length of time knows. That's not the that's, job. That's that's not the job. It's well, it happens. Take, take that's it back. secondary to well, it happens, what we're talking it, about. Yes, it happens automatically. Mm-hmm. Is a byproduct, a byproduct of doing 
your job of generating follow-up <laughs> following a model yeah. <laughs> um so so yeah i think and that's the that is also the easy part that's the part like those are the part though that's just learning based stuff that you can the other the hard part is the internal struggles of doing the uh lead generation and those those type dealing with personalities and those types of things that is the difficult part the other part is just memorization of of writing an of offer. facts yeah they're just it's a it, it's something you can learn in a classroom you know what's interesting though i think a lot of people that's their biggest fear is is doing the contract stuff but it's it's like that is um that is so easy in comparison to yeah. everything else that we're talking about just following a model that you're not familiar with and you're 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 being told that this is the way this is the way to hit my goals but keeping consistent with it and doing that setting the habit to actually do those things that's the hard part yeah that's why we talk about time management like not yeah. always it's always something to talk about. Yeah. it's always the struggle there's always a if you don't know how to do something that's a tangible thing whether it has to do with an offer or a exclamatory clause or a <laughs> i know i can never get that word right sound like kayla or any any of those things there's always somebody that you can ask the question and they have the answer Right. Whether it's your broker or it's the uh, the house attorney or any of those, there's always somebody who's got experience. But when it comes to these, so that those are easy. That's easy because there's always somebody. It's a tangible. Yeah. With an answer. It's a tangible answer. Mm -hmm. Right. So but the other stuff, the stuff that we talk about on here, the stuff that we're talking about today, these are intangible uh, blockades that you have to try to maneuver around. Developmental and factors. It's there. It's it's a so that's why you're not going to hear except for when we get a question from the web. Why you're not going to hear us talk about those sorts of things? Selling houses. We do it. We just talk about it. It happens as um, a byproduct. I swear we do sell houses. <laughs> uh, you know, I feel like um, this is this is a little bit down a rabbit hole. <laughs> Mr. Rabbit, wait! Oh man, um, but just because this isn't really about models, but everything that we're talking about is 100% the biggest struggle of a real estate agent is the mindset. And I think if I could go back, I think in one of our recent episodes, I think I said like if I could go back. No, well, we had a, that was a, we, just an internal conversation I had we, with myself. We do, we do have a segment <laughs> on the show about looking back. Oh right. Um, no, I just remembered I have recently, I was like, if I were to start over now with all of the information I've gathered over 15 years and I were going to start a new real estate business, what would I do? Um, what? Well, I can, it sounds like we're doing that segment. Oh, but no, I wasn't going to. I don't look back. I haven't heard I that one in a while. <laughs> I know. I forgot about that segment. Um, I did not bring my notes with me about what I wrote down <laughs> because okay. I wasn't prepared for this. But I did like recently have that kind of internal dialogue with myself about like, okay, so if I were to start today, what would I do differently? And I think that there's a couple of things that stand out. Number one, I would have bought the Millionaire Real Estate Agent book and just been like, this is all I'm going to do. I'm just going to follow it. this thing right now. Put like horse blinders on yeah. and ignore <laughs> everything else coming in from other areas and just say, I'm just going to do this book. 100%. I would have hired a real estate assistant immediately. Um, and given I, them the same book. How would you have yeah. paid them? figured it out that's true yeah well i think get... my my internal conversation that i had with myself was like i'm in a financial position as i am today and i have all the information but i'm coming from a different business oh okay or something like that right, so not that i'm 25 years old with no money. again right. and um i just told everybody how old i was yay <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh but yes i i would immediately hire somebody to be an administrative person 
and I would read the book and just follow it to a T, not question it, not try to do any creative things and just like buy into the fact that all I need to do is follow that, those foundational pieces and everything else will fall into place. Right. Like, like a good, good advice would have been not, but you're different before what well, I would advise people is, um, your brokerage, whatever it happens to be, whether it's big like Keller Williams or a small private one is they probably have like a series of postcards that are prefab postcards and, and other marketing stuff, just slap your name on it and don't sit and try to come up with yeah. All brand a new brand new thing. Oh, well, this doesn't look like the houses here and blah, blah, blah. Just do exactly what's there because you're wasting too much time. You need to be doing what the other stuff. To start, yeah, for sure. Like just just to um well, I don't know, but whatever. <laughs> I'm already doing making the same mistakes again. Uh <laughs> but I agree with what you're saying because it's consistency. You just have to get going, do it consistently be in front of people and everything else will fall into place. And then you already have somebody to help with all of those things so that you can just focus on the sales side of the business. And then, then you're not spending so much time because there's, there's so much time that gets spent in those initial years, just trying to figure stuff out. And it's like, if I would have just had that one book, that's all I needed. And the other thing that I would change, and this is more personality, but like, So you can't necessarily change your personality, but I would go in with a different mindset than I had when I was 25 years old, which was that I don't care what happens. (laughs) I'm just going to put my head down and do the work. And I don't care about the outcome. But part of that comes with... What do you mean the outcome? Well, I mean like sometimes still to this day, sometimes you can get... Individual clients? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like sometimes still to this day, you can get kind of wrapped up in like one deal because you're like you're attached to whether it's the people and you want to you're like you're like feeling for them and and you want that to work out for them or Um, you've been working with them for a really long time yeah and you're like i can't fire this person now i've been showing them houses for two years um like i would shift my mindset to know that after because again i have all the knowledge that i have now to know that again not everybody is going to work out and not everybody is going to like you And is this going to matter in five years? Well, because you like really understand, like, again, all the knowledge in 15 years, you really understand who who you are, what's important to you. And so you can step back and say, like, you know, does that really matter? And what you just said, did we talk about that last last time? Because it was a quote I read from, I think, Cody Gibson. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to start using that. Yeah. Does is this going to matter in five years? And the answer for ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time is going to be no, even though it feels like in the moment, like oh, but I want to do right. Well, it's, it's not it's, about it's, it's not, not doing your job well or not, you know, following all of the steps. But at the end of the day, if you've done everything that you can, and the outcome isn't resulting in what you expected or what your client wanted or any of that stuff, like close your computer at the end of the day and stop thinking about it. Yeah, the the five year thing isn't so much you. Well, you. Said said 99.9% of the time you say, no, it's not. And it's not to say that this isn't important. It's to put it in a perspective, mm-hmm. right? It's that's the whole, that's, that's what you're doing it for is to say, oh, I see. It's, it's not it, as detrimental as the feelings it causes. Yeah. It's like, it, it puts it just into perspective that it's like, well, okay, it's not going to matter in five years. Is it going to matter in four? No. Three? No. Two? No. One? No. Okay, ten months from now, no. Eight months from now, no. <laughs> until until you work its way down. Oh, it just matters right now. Well, and, and then I and think... then it puts it into a perspective of 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 where where should you be staying up um, on your computer at two in the morning trying to not. I'm not saying you do this because you don't, but but you have many many years ago staying up until two o'clock in the morning looking something up and trying to figure out. Uh, what the what the correct answer to this thing is or or whatever you you it allows you to pull back a little bit well yes and I think if you, you kept going with that you could go all the way to like will this matter in six hours <laughs> I was gonna say 30 days but even six hours and most of the time no like it only it only matters in that moment where you're experiencing it because you're allowing yourself to be personally and emotionally involved in something that's a business 
transaction. Yeah. And it, again, if you can confidently say like, I've done everything that I can as a business professional and they got excellent service and this didn't work out and that's okay. Um, yeah. Because, and this, this is, this is where I say like, because I have all the knowledge of 15 years mm-hmm. that I can say, we'll be okay. We'll be just fine. Like I, I'm in a good place that, that, that you don't have that when you're starting out and you're six months in and you're working on like one of your first deals because it took so long to get one going. You don't have that confidence to say it's going to be okay. Yeah. So if I could start over now, I would just build that into my mindset because it will be okay. If you just keep doing the, and you the follow, models. and you're following the models, like yeah. if you're, if you're doing everything right the way that you should be doing it then it will be okay it yeah. will all work out everything will show up um just stick to the model stick to it <laughs> all right you ready to take a break sure all right let's take a break the think Live b team is an orlando-based real estate team with keller williams realty at the parks we operate as a boutique style company with the resources of the largest real estate company behind us think Live b is looking for talented people like you to join our team If you happen to live in the Orlando area and you're a detail-oriented quick learner, then we might have a place for you. Whether you're a real estate agent or administrative professional, we are looking for individuals who are ready to work hard and ready for success. If you're ready to join the team, visit us at thinklivebee.com. And we're back. What's next? Well, We did an impromptu segment. (laughs) But this one isn't impromptu. It's one that I've... Prepared. Prepared. Oh, okay. Oh, what is it? Why do you know? What's this one? I, I don't remember oh, that Oh, come name. on. In this segment, what do you know? Kat and Kayla will compete by oh. guessing the answers to my painstakingly researched questions. Whoever is closest wins. The game is closest to the pin rules, not prices right rules. You can go over and still win. If you get it right on the nose, you get double points. All right. What's the theme? Catherine has nine wins. Kayla has... <laughs> I have one what? on here. Dang it. Oh, no. <laughs> I think I think actually did Kayla win last time we did this? I think maybe I think maybe Kayla's got two wins. I don't know. I've lost track. I'm okay with the one. We're okay. just nine to one. I mean, it just doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, they're great. The catchphrase from America's most famous tiger, Tony Frosted Flakes, was created in 1952 by the Kellogg Company, an American medical doctor, nutritionist, inventor, health activist eugenicist and businessman James Kellogg, who later went on to create the Kellogg Company, was the first to present the cornflake in 1890 as breakfast cereal. A Seventh-day Adventist and vegetarian, Kellogg became the superintendent of the Western Health Reform Institute, which then became the Battle Creek Sanitarium, located in Battle Creek, Michigan. While at the sanitarium, Kellogg developed numerous nut and vegetable products to vary the diet of the patients, and in the process became one of the people credited with creating peanut butter. The peanut, also known as groundnut, goober, pindar, or monkey nut, is a legume crop grown mainly for its edible seeds. It is widely grown in the tropics and subtropics, being imported important to both small and large commercial producers. There's a jar of peanut butter in 75% of the homes in America. Astronaut Alan Shepard brought a peanut with him to the moon. Women and children prefer creamy peanut butter, while most men opt for chunky. This week is National Peanut Day, and today's theme is peanuts. Interesting. I love peanut butter. Also like almond butter. Creamy or crunchy? I like both. I like creamy. I think I actually like crunchy better. Like just, I we actually have creamy peanut butter in our um our pantry, and it's delicious. But it melts really fast, and you know, kind of gets all over your the, the little oils come out and everything. Um, but I think I like I like chunky because it's just got texture. Yeah, you know? I do. Whatever. Okay. It's, it's all good. It's all good though. Yeah. First question. In 1916, Planters Nut and Chocolate Company ran a contest for a trademark. Antonio Gentile, a resident of Suffolk, is it Suffolk or Suffolk? Suffolk. Suffolk, 
Virginia began sketching possible entries for the contest. He drew a friendly, humanized peanut, tumbling, serving nuts, and walking with a dignified cane. One of his sketches won the contest. How much did Gentile get paid for creating Bartholomew Richard Fitzgerald Smythe, also known as Mr. Peanut? I didn't know his name. Bartholomew. (laughs) What year was this? This was in 1916. How much did he get paid for that? Oh my gosh. The the proper peanut with the... What is it called? Monocle. Monocle. What do you want to go first, or I, I, I'll go first um, to give you some. What is it called when you go bowling and there's bumpers? Bumpers. I'll give you a bumper. <laughs> yeah, because I'm always like way out there <laughs> or a handicap. Um, um, yeah, there you go. I I say twenty five dollars. What? I don't know. I'm guessing. Kayla, guessing out of thin I don't want to say what I first thought. Now, <laughs> nineteen sixteen. They ran a oh, contest. Oh, nineteen sixteen. 25 bucks was a lot, I guess, in that time. I'm going to say, I'm going to go dead air. Dead air. (laughs) This one's hard because I was going to say something quite ridiculous, but I'm going to go with $55. Nothing. Gentile earned $5. I knew it. I should have gone lower. The Gentile family became friendly with the Obesi family, owners of the planter planter empire and Gentile's nephews suggested that obeses helped put Antonio through medical school who later became a surgeon from five dollars I was gonna say 6.7 million Uh, in 1916 oh my goodness was the first thought I had um (laughs) you would have been way off Uh, yeah I'm still way off five dollars okay one point Catherine (laughs) with all the ways the pandemic has changed our shopping and eating habits peanut butter intake is at an all-time high how many pounds of peanut butter did the average American eat last year, according to the National Peanut Board? Pounds, pounds. of peanut butter for a year. Ooh. All right. So on average, I eat, <sighs> I eat a lot of peanut butter. How much is in the container? All right. I'm going to go with 25 pounds. Okay. I'm going to go for the average. Two a month. <laughs> American. Yeah. I'm going to go. What would you say? 25? Two, two pounds a month. So 25, 24, 25. I said 25. I'm going to say 14. It's 7.6 pounds. Wow. It was expected to be even higher chunking out. <laughs> if it wasn't for manufacturing capacity. So it was actually at a whole time high. Usually uh, the average is about 5.6 pounds uh-huh. a year. Last year, because of the pandemic, more people eating at home. Mm-hmm. And more all PB&Js. That. Yep, a lot more PBJ, PB&Js. It was at an all-time high, but they couldn't make it any faster, faster than they were making it. So Before, it kind of huh? leveled off at 7 so five or seven pounds a year, yeah, that's what they consume. Yeah, average for well, one person. For one person, that's why I was, <laughs> I was trying like to two pounds. You per said month. two two pounds. I was like, that's more than I eat. And I eat <laughs> peanut butter every day, like or, or almond. Yeah, a lot. I eat almond butter, but, but like, cons- but a you lot. Know. Yeah, yeah, it's like, and it's in other things and stuff like that that you eat. So, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. question three. Before Howard Stern came along, Charles M. Schultz held the title of King of All Media. Back in the 1960s and 70s, you couldn't escape the Minnesota-born cartoonist groundbreaking creation, Peanuts, and its signature character underdog extraordinaire, Charlie Brown. Not only was it the most popular comic strip in the nation, but Peanuts also spawned a steady stream of television specials, a Broadway show, movies, and albums. But it all started with the comic strip and syndicated newspapers. How many Peanut comic strips have been published? Since when? 19 what? (laughs) Not sure exactly when it started. How many comic strips? Okay. Um, I got my number. You got to do some math. No, no math. I'm not allowed That's to use a what, calculator. No, absolutely not. <laughs> okay. Five seventy-five, Bob. Five hundred and seventy-five comic comics strips. have been published. Okay, I'm gonna say it's in every Sunday newspaper. Mm-hmm. So that's once a week. That's 52 weeks a year. Oh, and I think it's been. But what about daily newspapers? I don't think there's comic strips in the daily newspaper, is okay. there? I didn't do enough math. <laughs> I'm just, you know what? You won't let me use my calculator. I'm just going to say 100,000. Oh, but. And how many did you say, Kayla? 575. I did not do <laughs> enough years times 52. Uh, well, Kayla's, Kayla got this one, but not because not she guessed <laughs> The seventeen thousand eight hundred and ninety-seven. Oh, I almost said twenty-five thousand. I should have gone with my first guess. Right, Make, the press making I got it, it arguably the longest story ever told 17, by one 000? human being. Wow! So 
Maybe you know what? You you got me with that daily newspaper business. <laughs> you screwed me up. <laughs> it's okay. my fault. Okay. <laughs> Question number four. After an FDA regulation was passed in the 1960s, a jar of peanut butter cannot legally call, be called that unless it's made out of at least 90% peanuts. Anything that has less than that will likely be labeled peanut butter spread. How many peanuts are in the average 12-ounce jar of peanut butter? 12-ounce jar... This is like the playing a, the game. That's not of, the big, big jar. It's the, this normal size jar. I got my number. That's like playing the game of guess how many beans are in the jar it, or whatever. It's exactly that. <laughs> They're fun. <laughs> um, okay, Kaylee, you want to go while I'm thinking? 86. There's 86 peanuts. Yep. Okay, I'm going to go with um, 300. Catherine gets that. The number is 540. Wow. I was going to say 212, and I was like, you know what? That's a small jar. But wow. It's not that small. <laughs> okay, so I've got four. She's got one? Yeah, this game is all one. wrapped up, but let's, let's go ahead for fun and do the last question. Okay. The most famous sandwich in the world is the PB&J. Mm-hmm. There are literally thousands of variations of this sandwich throughout the world. What percentage of people spread the peanut butter on first? Oh. You do it on both sides of the bread. One what? On peanut butter, one and, peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. Both jelly both, on both, one, belt. Which one do you spread on first? Oh, first, I get it. Which, you see what I'm saying? You don't put put, one on top of the other. No, you put the jelly on first or do you put the peanut butter on first? So what's the percentage of people that put peanut butter on first? Yes. Okay. Okay. I'm going to guess 86%. 54. The correct answer? 96%. What? Put the peanut butter on first. I would think it was a high number. Yeah. The Chicago restaurant called- Do you put jelly on first? I feel like I do. (laughs) I don't. She's one of the four percent American. Yeah, yeah because <laughs> well, when I made them for my dad, he doesn't like jelly, so I would do the jelly for everybody and then wipe it off and then do the peanut butter for everybody. Oh, so you're, you're oh well, there is a right, but if you're doing it for yourself, if you're making a PB and J for yourself, I think naturally I still just do the jelly first. Oh, do you? Yeah. So yeah. you're one of those because I remember like wiping the, the jelly and I see weirdos. jelly and then peanut butter. <sighs> Are we surprised? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it says uh, the Chicago restaurant called PB and J's offers. Uh, the, offers the world's most expensive peanut butter and jelly sandwich at $350. The luxury version of the Jeez. American classic includes gold leaf dusted bread, a special red currant jam imported from France, all natural peanut butter, and a rare Manuka honey from New Zealand. Wow. Hmm. Interesting. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Well, it better taste like gold. Uh, <laughs> wait, I just thought, like, Kayla, did, so your dad just ate jelly sandwiches? No, he didn't like jelly. Oh, so he ate peanut butter, peanut banana butter. sandwiches. That's, okay. that's yeah. what I did. I didn't like jelly when I was a kid. No, but I thought- My dad was a grown-ass man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought it was the opposite. I was like, who's just eating jelly, <laughs> jelly sandwiches? Sandwich. That's weird. I've heard Sugar levels je- high. I've heard of jelly and cream cheese <laughs> What? That, that, that's probably good. Yeah. Just cr- it's che- you know, like, like a cheese plate. Peanut butter and fluff. Sandwiches. I was always peanut peanut butter and banana. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. delicious. That's always been my, my go-to. It's the only time my dad would eat a fruit. <laughs> <laughs> you have to force feed it to him. <laughs> Small win. Who's got one? Uh, last Wednesday, I put myself out there and went to Excellent Soccer, which was is an organization here in Orlando. It's two locations now, but they do soccer leagues for kids with special needs. So I went on as an assistant coach for my first go around with them, and it was super amazing. And I'm going back. Did you guys win? There's no. It was the last. Okay, so it was the last um, practice of the season because oh, they do seven week seasons, or yeah, seven week seasons. So the next season picks up in two weeks, and that's when they actually have games. Oh, okay. So this one was just like a scrimmage, and then the coaches and parents played against the kids. It was just super, super fun and super cool. Cool, cool, cool. Catherine? Oh man, I don't have one. <laughs> I think I I said my small win yesterday was that I did laundry this weekend. That's a small win. <laughs> that's pretty small. In this house, that's a small win. It's <laughs> pretty small. Okay, we'll go with it. All right. And my small win is I started staining for the first time in the house. Yes. So I've been doing drywall and paint since we moved in in April. And I wasn't going to start doing any staining until I finished all of the drywall and paint, which I have not done, but we're pretty close. And so you're so excited. 
Yeah, it was time. Well, it makes sense to sort of finish that room. Yeah, I'm working in in the guest bathroom. And instead of going back and doing it later, I'm just going to do it while no one is actually a guest and just get her done. Getting it done. Yeah. It's looking great. Smelling. Hey, thanks. All right. Let's get to work. Yeah, let's get to work. Hey, guys, (laughs) remember to rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps new listeners to find us. You can also send questions letters and stories to us at our website on seekingthebest.com you can even leave us a voicemail and i'll play it on the show send us a tweet at seek the best pod and for cat kill and myself thanks for listening and we'll figure this all out next week Adios. bye you this has been a think live be production